Nation, Rob McGregor, welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor and... And Trish McGregor. And our producer and tech magician, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular blog posts and where you can find out about about our books. <clears throat> Among them are Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities, The Secrets of Spirit Communication, Sensing the Future, and Aliens in the Backyard. Our most recent book is called The Shift, Reports from the Mystical Underground. Trisha's latest novel is White Crows, and Rob's seventh Indiana Jones novel, The Staff of Kings, is now available in ebook and audio, and it's free. Uh, our guest today is Beryl Ann Butler, who has just launched a unique online creativity community called Crescent Creativity Club. She's an international artist, author, editor, intuitive reader. She has a big, big bio. A labyrinth maker and workshop facilitator. Her lifelong interest in metaphysics and spirituality has taken her from her classical art training into the realms of visionary art and innovative aspects of creativity. She's also been a popular presenter at Edgar Cayce's Association for Research and Enlightenment for 30 years. Welcome, Meryl. Welcome, Meryl. Thank you. Hi. Hey. Okay. So you, Since we met, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rob. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, you started out in uh, in a school of uh, traditional realism. That uh, you're an instructor. Is that is that right? Yes, I'm an instructor now. And when right. I went to that school, yeah, it was definitely based on the French, um, the, the old masters through the the French line through the Academy Julian. And um, my teacher studied with Norman Rockwell, who studied with the teacher who studied in France. Right. Okay. But uh, you shifted uh, at some point to uh, what you call visionary art. Can you describe that for us? Yeah. Describe the shift or the what vision? Both. You can both. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) Both. (laughs) Well, that's a really interesting um, story. I was I had my own art school for 10 years and I was teaching traditional drawing and painting um, in the same tradition in which I was taught, and uh, which I opened just a few months after I um, finished art school. And I was starting to feel like my art career wasn't connected with my spiritual life. And I wanted them to be more connected. And I, I was struggling with, with how that was working. And I was living in Louisiana at the time. That's where I had my art school um, with my husband. And I had a little girl. And I had my art school right there. So um, we came up to Virginia Beach to go to the ARE. And there was a guided imagery and music session. And you could ask a question that was important to you. And so that's what I asked. I said, how am I going to um, combine these two elements? And 
I had the most extraordinary vision that brought me to tears, even though I didn't really have words for it. And I saw myself flying through space on a unicorn and all at once. Yeah, it's amazing. It was amazing. All at once, the unicorn's mane and the unicorn's tail and my hair, which was long at the time. I had hair down to my (laughs) waist. Um, Each one separated into seven paintbrushes, painting the seven chakra colors, painting these. Oh, my God. Yeah. Painting intertwining rainbows through space. And it was so profound. I mean, I came out of that crying, as many people do from a guided imagery and music session. And without really words, because it's all about symbols, you know. And so I knew that it was an answer. I didn't, I couldn't articulate exactly what it meant, but I knew that it was an answer. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to paint a picture of that to kind of um, gel it, you know, in, in my mind. But we weren't going back home at that point. We were going up to New York to visit my parents. And my dad, as he always did, had tickets for us for a Broadway play. <coughs> And it happened to be Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I sat there looking at him in this quilted garment with images of all his important dreams on it. And I thought, jeez, yeah, I thought (laughs) I need to wear my image, not just paint it and put it on the wall. But I didn't know how to quilt. And um, so I thought, well, how am I going to do that? So anyway, that was my intention. And we, we got back to Louisiana a woman had moved into our neighborhood two blocks away and was opening a quilting class in her home. And her first class was how to make a quilted jacket. Wow. So I Talk about synchronicity. Up. I know. So I signed up and I made that jacket and I thought it was all about making that one jacket. And it wasn't as it turned out um, about a year later, Um, my husband died in a plane crash and my daughter and I moved. I'm from New York. So I wasn't like in Louisiana on purpose, no offense to anybody, (laughs) but, um, but so my daughter and I, and we were very interested in the Edgar Casey place too. So my daughter and I moved to Virginia beach Mm-hmm. And which was good for me because it was a day's drive from New York where my parents uh-huh. are, which is um, far enough, but not too far, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so we moved there. And then people who saw my jacket started ordering them. And the next thing you knew, I was in the wearable art business. Mm. That was wow. for about 30 years. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that happened at that time that was also very synchronistic was I had just discovered I was allergic to oil paint. And after teaching in my own studio for 10 years, I was thinking, what am I going to do? And then my husband died and my world blew up. And so um, I didn't have an art school again for a long time. And and so it turned out that the... um, the fabric, I wasn't allergic to that. So I just dove right in. And and my intention with the fabric was always to figure out a way to make it look like I painted a picture. So right. yeah, I developed um I developed what I call textile um impressionism, which is um a technique where um uh, if you imagine an impressionist painting um and you can see those little brush strokes, what I do is each one of those brush strokes would be a little tiny cut piece of fabric. And Mm -hmm. I would blend them all together and create an image that way. And that's really fun because when people are looking at it, like at a gallery, um, 
you can tell by their body language the minute they figure out it's fabric because they do something like this. Yeah, right. <laughs> they walk up and they think it's a painting and they assume it's a painting and then bam, it's not a painting. And they're like, how did she do that? Yeah. She did that because she's kind of crazy. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, so then, um, then because I wasn't doing oil paint for 30 years, I got unallergic to it. And uh. um, after I cared for my dad for seven years and, um, and after that, I reopened my art school. So I have it again now. And I am also, again, teaching traditional drawing painting, but I also teach fiber art and, and visionary art. And the visionary art was kind of launched by working in the fabric. But then um, I started getting much more in touch with my psychic abilities. That's, you know, I, I, I learned TM. Um, mm-hmm. I was pregnant with my daughter and and I I meditated twice a day every day for 25 years without missing a single um, meditation, including the day my daughter was born. And, um, and, but I noticed after seven years, I just kind of got psychic. Hmm. That's interesting. So I I watched the seven minute uh, YouTube video you have. uh, And that shows a lot of, uh, you were younger then too. Uh, I was younger. That's (laughs) 25 years old, at least before I know. (laughs) And, but the, the, the fabric artist, uh, was uh, fascinating. Uh, uh, some of them look kind of Egyptian to me. Yes. Uh, uh, well, I have memories of past life in Egypt uh and as well as Atlantis. And um, a lot, I was a speaker at Edgar Cayce's ARE for, well, I still am, but since the 1980s. And a lot of people there who also had past lives said they knew that I had been there. Oh, interesting. Yes. What what do you remember about about Atlantis? Oh, well, I I remember, um, I remember. I think my wearable art comes from there. I remember uh, the kind of feel of um, spirituality. I mean, it all went, you know, kaplooey in the end, but um, yeah, similar to Egypt and similar to, um, you know, old, older Judaism, that people really decorated their clothing and their day-to-day objects with symbols that had spiritual meaning. Unlike today, uh, today we have icons of you know, big right. business on everything we own. But I think that was a reminder, you know, to live in your everyday life, to remember who we really are. And I, I have had people come up to me, particularly at the ARE where, you know, there's a lot of people who tend to being psychic saying that mm-hmm. they kind of remember this kind of decorated clothing that I just kind of started doing. Uh as a part of that. Yeah. Hmm. Now we met you on the uh, Abraham cruise yeah. in March yeah. of 2023. So and I, but our daughter sat next to you and was just captivated by your art because she's also an artist. Yeah. I and, saw her um, work. She's really good. It is good. I mean, she, yeah. we don't know where she got that. It's not from us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, she was, uh, that, that was, you were making the, the drawing of the spirit of Abraham. Can yes. you tell us about that drawing? Yeah, I did several. And um, so what I like to, I've been listening to Abraham since um, 1994. And same with us. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 
I'm primarily a visual person. Auditory learning is my least developed sense. So when I'm mm-hmm. sitting there listening, I don't get it all unless I'm doing something with my hands, making something mm-hmm. or being creative or whatever. And so that's one of the reasons I draw. Plus, I tend to see energies around Esther as she's channeling Abraham. Uh-huh. And, um, and it starts out with me just seeing little traces of the energy. And then as I draw it, I see more and more. So it's kind of fun. You know, I, I just see the beginning and I get that drawn. And then when that's done, I'm thinking there's no more left. And then I look up and then there's more. So yeah. it helps my brain integrate the kind of, you know, the, I mean, the I know. The left, like, yeah. Yeah. In, in what is meaningful to me. And and people love to see them. And of course, I sell them. They're called, um, I have a series on my website called Mystic Visions, which are these mm. colored pencil drawings, uh, which some of them are of Abraham's spirit. Some of them are other things. And then, of course, I do a reading for somebody. Um, it's like an intuitive reading of their soul matrix pattern. And yeah, ah. the pencils are a great um, method for this. I do them on black paper, which is interesting because your brain does different things. We, our brain is used to making a dark mark on white paper and that's uh-huh. where our brain wants to stay. And the minute you make a white mark on black paper, of course I add color to it, but it starts out with white marks on black paper. It, a huh. different part of your brain is involved. So, um, and it's fun and it's very, it's meditative for me to make them and people love to <laughs> buy them. So it's it's good, good for everybody. Huh. Now, have you shown these drawings to, to Esther of Abraham's spirit? Esther, I, I don't know if Esther saw these. I did on the cruise, I did show um, Mark um, and some of the mm-hmm. other staff and they loved it. <clears throat> Um, I don't know if Esther's seen them. Some of them have been posted. Esther did see my mandala of manifestation. Um, several years ago, I kind of had a vision of the mandala of manifestation, which is based on one of um, the stories that Abraham tells uh-huh. about manifesting. And um, and basically, um, some woman called Abraham and uh, wanted her lover. And Abraham said, you have too much stress about that. You have to think of other things and practice bringing other things into your life that are easier. And so Abraham started talking about um, butterflies. And the woman was mad. She didn't want to talk about butterflies. (laughs) Abraham started talking about feathers. And the woman didn't want to talk about feathers. And Abraham said, you know, you have to pick something. If you want to get practiced at manifestation, you have to pick something that you don't have negative stress about. Because this woman wanted a lover. Her stress was all about, I don't have a lover. So then Abraham starts talking about blue glass. And then basically the woman hung up on her. (laughs) And so then after that reading, uh, Esther kind of forgotten. She and her husband, Jerry, went out to lunch and they walked to their their restaurant and Esther said she felt this amazing draw to go in and see um, what was in a shop and they didn't see anything they liked until they went to the back and they saw this whole wall of blue glass all the kinds of blue glass you could imagine and she didn't get it yet and then they went out to eat and then um, what was the next oh oh before they got to the restaurant they were no it was after then they come after out of the restaurant and they're walking across this field and they say all of a sudden this 
all these butterflies flew around them and they had to stop talking because they were getting in their mouth and they still <laughs> didn't get it. Wow. And then all of a sudden Esther sees this little boy, uh, Jerry saw him, this little boy, a toddler running from the other side of the park to directly to Esther. And Jerry says, do you know that kitten? <laughs> you know, she's like, no. And he comes up running and smiling and he hands her a feather. And that's when she <laughs> got it, that she had focused on butterflies, blue glass and feather for enough time wow. without stress uh-huh. to manifest it in her life. And the kicker is the first time I heard that story, I was in my car listening to it on a cassette tape, which that tells you how long ago it was. And the minute the end of the story came when she talks was talking about the butterfly, I was going 80 miles an hour on a big highway and this butterfly comes right up my windshield and over my car. And <laughs> then when I got out where I was going, I parked and opened the car door and looked down and there was a feather. <laughs> wow. So that story was meaningful to me and I know it has to do with um, manifestation. So I decided I would paint uh-huh. an image of that. And that's what I did. It was partly to help me manifest things and mm-hmm. partly for other people to look at to manifest. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a great story. Have you ever been in the hot seat? Yes. Ah, what, what yeah, you, you got a prediction, what? didn't you, about your art? I did. I did. Um, uh, in 2001, um, I had all this artwork, visionary artwork that everybody was telling me, you need to go to California and find a gallery because they're going to love your work out there. Mm-hmm. So I did. I went out there and I uh, was there for a little while, made connections, and I finally was about to go to a gallery um, to negotiate a show. And on the way, uh, someone broke into my car and stole all the artwork is about, Oh my God. Yeah. About 15 years worth of art, including, um, uh, some of the stuff that you saw on that, um, that video, the, the Egyptian piece. Oh really? Yeah. And the gypsy piece. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Well, you know, you never know. I mean, you never know. I mean, I think everything's good in the end. It was a little hard to get over that because um, yeah. because suddenly, you know, my art is hard to describe. Um, people people even say that saw pictures of it when they see the real thing. They're like, oh, my God, it's so different. So it just so happened that I happened to have a ticket for the Abraham um, event in San Diego, which was only two days after my stuff was stolen. And I was wow. still pretty shaken up. So I did get in the hot seat. And um, so I asked about that. And I told what happened. Oh, it was very interesting. In the morning, I did a meditation. And I said, am I going to get in the hot seat? Because it wasn't my first <laughs> time in Abraham thing. I knew about it. And I got the number two and the number three. And I'm thinking, don't you know? I mean, um, you know, it felt like I was either going to be the second person or the third person, right? Uh-huh. And I'm like, but you're infinite intelligence. You don't know if I'm going to be second or third. <laughs> so, or maybe anyway, twenty third. <laughs> yeah, they, they were coming back and forth separately. So I I saw them as two different numbers. So I got there a little bit late, and when I walked in, the first person was in the hot seat. So I went and sat down, and then when she asked for another person, I raised my hand and she picked me. So I was second, uh-huh. and then I told my story, and she said. You know, we have a lot to say about this, but it's time for a break. So we're going to break now, and you're going to come back right after the oh, break. Huh. So I was second and third. And third, all right. Wow. 
That's interesting. How interesting. That's the interesting thing about psychic stuff. You know, it's hard sometimes to analyze from the perspective of 3D right. reality and Earth what right. those things mean. But in retrospect, it turns out to be correct. It makes perfect <laughs> yeah. sense. Yeah. So what did, what did Abraham tell you? She actually told me that um, that my art that the stuff that was taken was old stuff. Of course, you know, to me as an artist, you know, I never started a retirement program. I figured I was investing my money in my artwork, so that was like, you know, between one hundred fifty to two thousand hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff that I thought was my retirement plan. And she said, um, you know, that's all old stuff. You're going to be doing new and way cooler stuff, basically. <laughs> and um, uh-huh. so she's right. I am. <laughs> Since your uh, art, since your art is uh, pretty unique, has any of that materialized? Uh, anybody has seen it? Or that's a great question. And of course, since this was two thousand and one, we didn't have the internet yet. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I am um, honored to have all of my artwork represented on the Los Angeles Police Department website of stolen art, wow. along oh. with Rembrandt. Uh, all right, huh. <laughs> that's an honor. So yeah, I'm in good company and they did a story on me. They came to interview me about mm-hmm. it because it was big news then. Um, unfortunately, the story was set to a, um, to print on September 13th of 2001. Which is, of oh. course, yeah. Which of course, yeah. by then stolen art wasn't a story, but <laughs> yeah. they have a file on me. So if anything ever gets found, um, all I have to do is call them and I'm sure they'd love to do a follow-up story. I haven't, wow. I have always felt like the theft of one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars worth of work was going to come back to me worth more than that somehow. Uh-huh. Mm, yeah. The story of it is worth more than that if something's found. So I actually think the uh, that big Egyptian piece um, that you saw on the video, Rob, is um, I think that's the one that's most likely to show up and. Whoever stole it probably stole it for drug money and probably didn't have any idea of the value. And they probably sold it at a uh-huh. flea market and someone else and someone else. But I just intuitively know that that garment is in the collection of a costume person in Hollywood. Right. Because uh, where else wow. would it get to? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm keeping my eye cool. out for any time Aida is, um, <laughs> is going to be presented because, you know, that's exactly <laughs> I mean, that garment was like a million times better than, um, you know, one that, God, what's her name? Warren Cleopatra. I mean, it had you know, 900 <laughs> separate pieces in it and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, a costume person would be likely to have it in their collection waiting for a good time to use it. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't actually done much on the website. So I'm, I do have, sometime this year, we're putting up the page of Stolen Art. And I'm going to promote it on the website because there were quite a few Good. pieces. 13, 13 pieces were stolen. And somebody's got to have seen some of them somewhere. And yeah. that'll make a great story. Especially after all these years. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe uh, maybe because of this podcast, somebody will hear or see this. And, uh, there you go. Uh, it, it might uh, reappear. Who knows? That's right. That's right. Can so. you talk a little bit about creativity and how that's... Uh, uh, essential part of your life and how it li- how it's linked to a mysticism well I mean, that's, what, that's what we've been talking about but that's right that's right <laughs> now we can really talk about well i think creativity is linked to a lot of things um 
I think it's actually linked. I think it's the lifeblood of actually uh-huh. being alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so too. And um, in my creativity club, you know, one some of the information that um, I have for people as they consider to join is, um, and I'll uh, let's say I have it here. I can read it. It's this is what sure. being creative does for you. Mm-hmm. And this is all studied by uh, top neuroscientists and researchers and doctors. It lowers stress. It reduces pain. It improves your immune function. It wards off depression. It increases happiness. It raises your IQ and your emotional intelligence. It improves your brain plasticity and brain function. It slows down and sometimes can even reverse the aging process. Um, it, it, oh, we it, like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the older I get, the more interested I am. Um, it releases endorphins and other uh, neurotransmitters that are, you know, kind of make you feel good. Uh, it lowers cortisol, which is the stress hormone. It enhances your overall physical and mental health. And they even found that it adds um, longevity. That's interesting. And, huh. Yeah. That also that also sounds like the the things I used to say when I was uh, a, a yoga teacher describing what uh, yoga is yoga uh, the, the effects of yoga. <laughs> I think they're the same, and yeah. I think that the place you get to uh-huh. in the creative process is the same place that you get to. When, you know, yeah, I think so too. I do yoga too, and I I understand them to be this the same place. Right. So, who doesn't want all of those things? And of course. You know, if you're going to be good at yoga, you have to practice yoga, right? So if you're going to be good at creativity, you need to practice your creativity muscles or exercise your creativity muscles. Mm-hmm. And in this culture, that's not, you know, a lot of people, right. doesn't seem like an It's not supportive. <laughs> it isn't. It isn't. Especially and, with banned books now. <laughs> oh, my God. And then so many people think they're not creative. I can't tell you, you know, I've taught thousands of students, and I can't tell you how many people are so destroyed about that they're like not i'm not creative because you know when i was in second grade i colored out outside the lines or whatever yeah. and I, well that's <laughs> exactly creative but anyway um robert um epstein i forget the book he wrote but um he said creative potential is virtually shut down by early schooling in this country and he says wow yeah he says significant creativity is within everyone's reach no exceptions. So that means the health benefits. And uh, of course, creativity makes you more psychic because the more yeah, you have those, definitely. The, more, the better your body feels and the more you have the endorphins and stuff. Um, I believe, the you know, you get used to being in that space that you get mm-hmm. to um, when you're doing yoga or meditation or creativity and that's the space where psychic intuition happens also. Uh-huh. And, synchron- had- and synchronicity as well. Absolutely. Oh, I yeah. Creativity, uh, psychic intuition, and, synch- and synchronicity, I believe they're all the same thing. Yeah. I think so, too. Because yeah. I, I, think, I think I love the topic of synchronicity, and I know you guys do. <laughs> I think that synchronicity is happening to all of us 100% of the time, but we don't notice you know, mm-hmm. Winston Churchill said, um, uh, many, many men stumble over the truth, but most of the time they pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. And <laughs> yeah. I think that happens with synchronicity because I think every so too. 
time. Yeah, every time I've noticed synchronistic events in my life, I could backtrack and look at the choice points where I made a choice to do something that the average person might not have made because Mm -hmm. I was following a strong inner guidance. And since most people in this society are taught to not be connected to their inner guidance, they don't hear it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't hear you, most people are taught to deny it. Exactly. Exactly. I had this gorgeous pair of, um, uh, teal colored silk pants that I had bought and I love them. And they happen to go with all of my fancy outfits that I used when I um, spoke, uh, at <clears throat> presentations. And I was thinking to myself, I, I want a jacket exactly the same, you know, in this color and in part of the set. And wow. I thought about that for two years. And one day I was driving down old country road somewhere, um, and drove right by this really dinky looking thrift store and it was like a hand reached out of that thrift store and pulled me in and i went in and there was the jacket in my wow size made by the same company um and in the same exact color and um for like i love it when stuff like that happens that's great (laughs) yeah i had someone at the are ask me if i'd teach psychic shopping (laughs) yeah really (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Sometimes there's a certain feeling that comes about uh, when these events happen. Uh, you, you just kind of sense something is about to happen. Uh, I've told this story yeah. before. I've told this story before on podcasts, but um, I was taking a couple uh, to Miami. Uh, we were on I-95. I love story. <laughs> and uh, we were in a... <clears throat> very heavy spiritual conversation at the time. Uh, one man was kind of a new age uh, preacher and uh, who was there and uh, a car goes by and the license plate said uh, Zen six, six, five. And he said, wouldn't it be interesting if it was, if, if it had said Zen six, 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 what would that mean? Not two minutes later, a car goes by with a license place, Zen six, six, six. I mean, it, what are I the chances that. of that? <laughs> yeah. I was, you saw it some years later. Yeah. And then uh, like two, three years later, I saw that car again. And that's funny. Car yeah. With that license plate. Anyhow, <laughs> my, I was talking to my girlfriend one day about uh, Nikola Tesla and his, you know, he really oh, yeah. the number three, six, nine. And um, my birthday turns out to be 369 my birth month my birthday and then what the year adds up to <laughs> oh that made me extra interested in and i was i had just been talking to her about it and i think we were off the phone when i drive by and a car pulls in front of me and it said uh nicola on the test on the oh, phone. God. <laughs> <It was> him. <laughs> my friend robert calls um license plates the american haiku <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. We had a guy coming on our synchronicity blog for a while who that was his specialty looking for license plates that have particular numbers on them. Remember that guy, Rob? And he had all kinds of oddball, you know, things, but it was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if we live in a holographic universe, everything has meaning. So whatever you focus on and decide is going to have meaning for you will reflect that particular facet. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. So, 
Um, so I can I can tell you a cool story about um, synchronicity since we're talking about it. Um, yeah. In uh, in the the 1980s, when I was still doing all my quilty stuff, I did a lot of international peace events with quilts, and so one of them was um, young storytellers for peace were going to uh, the former Soviet Union all the countries and telling stories. And they asked quilters if we would make a huh. illustrative quilt to illustrate our favorite story. And their idea was they would give these quilts as gifts to the different places mm-hmm. where they would go. And, um, and then they would tell you when they came back, they would tell you where the quilt ended up. So you could have a relationship with whoever. Now, of course, huh. this is before the internet. But anyway, <clears throat> So I took I made a quilt uh, from my daughter's favorite book, which is the Magical Rainbow Man by Shahastra, and it showed um, the globe with um, the North America and um, Asia and Russia being kind of connected by a rainbow. Mm-hmm. So I made that and gave that to them, and they took their trip and they came back, and I didn't hear from them for a pretty long time. So I wrote to them and I said, um, "So great, I'm interested to find out where my quilt went to." <laughs> And they said, we are so embarrassed. They said, for some reason, we have no idea where that one quilt went. We have everything else, (laughs) but we don't know where that went. And they said, "Um, we think it might have been the peace committee in Odessa, but we're not even sure. So I'm like, okay. So the following year, um, I was... um, um, arts consultant for the Center for Improving U.S.-Soviet Relations in Baltimore, and we and the, Baltimore and Odessa are sister cities. So we went to Moscow and Odessa, and oh uh, wow, peace thing. And I was speaking to Russian artists about using images to create global, personal, and planetary peace. And and um, were you speaking in Russian? No, but I had to be translated. And <laughs> okay, boy, that's tricky because I'm a humorous speaker, but not all the humor translates well. Right, so, right. You know? <laughs> so, anyway, so when we got to Odessa, um, we didn't know this. The Odessa committee that was meeting us said, we have a group of people that, um, that want to invite you into their homes for dinner by twos and threes. And I think that we had 17 people, so it, we were all going to be divided up. And I was, uh-huh. by the way, wearing one of my wearable art creations. So... Um, Anyway, so we got divided up and um, myself and one or two others went to this woman's house <clears throat> and we had dinner. And so she's asking about what we do and stuff. She And uh, I had my little book of photos of all my artwork. So I said, well, I do fiber art uh, like what I'm wearing. And she said, yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. And she said, the fact that you were wearing that jacket is, she said, I went up to the person in charge of the program and said i want that woman at my dinner table so that's why oh. i ended up at the table because of what i was in so i showed her the book and she gets the picture of the lost quilt and she says <laughs> oh my god did you do this and i'm like yeah and she said that quilt is hanging in my school oh wow oh. <laughs> that's so great rushes oh, got to see it big place to lose something in right, yeah, right. <laughs> so then Jeez. i proceeded to tell her the whole story about how it was lost and oh. so after dinner her best friend um uh, ludmila who was also a teacher at the school comes up to me and she looks all kinds of stressed out and she says i have to talk to you let's go to the library and i'm like you know what i just met this woman 
So in the library, she's looking down the floor and she says, I have to confess. I'm like, what? And she said, when Young Storytellers for Peace came, they presented the quilts, two quilts, your quilt and another quilt that wasn't as pretty as your quilt. And she said, they presented them to our school and to the Odessa Peace Committee at the same presentation at the same time. And she said, after the quilts were shown, they were wrapped up in, in bags. And she said, the Odessa Peace Committee does, they have, their office is a hole in the wall. They would have folded that away and, and hid it. And she said, when I saw your quilt, I knew it was for children to see. So when no one was looking, mm. I switched the packages. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> went home with the quilt. <laughs> and so that's how I found out. And, oh, and she was crying. She says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, are oh. you kidding me? I said, you did exactly the right thing. I am so happy. And we were crying and hugging in each other's arms. And I thought, oh, the universe brought me the people that could tell me where the quilt is. But guess yeah. what? They brought Ludmilla, the only person that she felt could give her forgiveness. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So it was like a complete that thing. So then, yeah, the following year I did the U.S. Soviet Children's Peace Quilt Exchange with that school in Odessa. It was school English speaking one night uh. in Odessa. And I chose, I thought, well, the universe is telling me to do that project with this school. So, yeah. <laughs> so that so, is great. Yeah, that yeah, was that, that's, that's, that's quite a synchronicity that, that's, uh, that's made, incredible. that made that connection and all the possibilities of where it could be in Russia. <laughs> I know it's a big place. It was, yeah. just, you know, but the thing is you look back at the choice points. So mm -hmm. number one, I was wearing a wearable art jacket that spoke to the world about who I was. Right. Mm -hmm. And when Ina saw it, she, she was very fashionable. She made all her stylish clothes. When she saw it, she made the connection with me vibrationally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to me, if I hadn't been wearing that jacket, another person could have gone home with right, her. Right, right. They never would have found out. <clears throat> so so mm. there's always, to me, there's always choice points, and there's usually a few of them. It's sort of like, um, you know, Dr. Zhivago and, um, you know, the girl. What's his girl's Yeah, name? You know, I can't pass. remember. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they pass like two ships in the night, and they don't yeah. connect each other right away. And if... You know, it makes a good story. But if they had both been meditators, they would yeah, right. they would have met each other sooner. I think so. Mm. Huh. Or yoga. What does your yoga. daughter do? What does your daughter do? My daughter's a doctor. She went to oh, the doctor. Um, yeah, she went to the Casey Riley School um, for massage and became a massage teacher there. And then she became a um, huh. osteopath. She went to the um, she went to Virginia Tech. She was she was actually there when they had that massacre. Mm. And mm. Um, oh God. so, yeah, I well, I was in California. I woke up, opened the thing in the morning. It's like 13 people dead at your kid's school. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, oh God. So I Dude. called her. Now, that was the biggest spiritual thing in my life. I think I called her cell phone and it went to voicemail. Mm. And I just said, I heard what happened. Give me a call when you can. And it was two and a half hours before I heard from her and I meditated oh, the whole time. And I got to the point where if she was dead, I was still knowing that she was okay in mm -hmm. her soul. Uh -huh. And yeah. that is a 
hard place to get to. I have to yeah, tell Yeah, that is. It took a lot of everything that I know to do to get there. And mm. then she called me. And, of course, she was okay. Um, but you know what those kids what did? What did she do? What, how, how did she avoid it? Or- well, she was in the um, Edward Via Osteopathy School is in a little different place on campus a little further away but she said she was in class that morning and she said all of a sudden everybody in the room cell phones started pinging at once oh boy Mm, they looked they found out what was happening and um but the interesting thing was that they made memorials the kids before the end of the day the kids made memorials for everybody including the shooter Wow. And there, there is a very spiritual perspective, their understanding that the shoot was so damaged. Mm. And by the time the parents came in the next day, they took the memorial for the shooter down. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But the the kids had the right idea. So I kept in touch with her. And of course I made her healing quilt and I made a quilt for the, university about healing hands around Virginia Mm. Tech and and part of it was to raise money you know to raise Mm -hmm. awareness to raise funds because they had to pay for a lot of um mental health stuff for everybody there Mm. yeah so anyway so she's a she's a doctor now um she has um she has a, a my my granddaughter who's 11 um my daughter who's a doctor decided to have her baby at home and everyone like, you're a doctor. Why are you having your baby at home? She says, because I know what happens in hospitals. <laughs> yeah. So I was, theoretically wasn't invited to the birth because, I, and I was sad about that. But I was invited to drop off sushi with her the day she was in labor. <laughs> <laughs> so I did drop off the sushi. And she ate one bite of sushi. And, and then she's like, oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah, you weren't in labor before this. That is it. And the midwife didn't make it in time. Really? (laughs) So I I caught the baby. And I have to tell you, this is another psychic thing. When I was buying the sushi, this baby voice, clear as day, came into my head and said, (laughs) Grandma, I'm waiting to get born till you get here because I want you to catch me. And I wanted to catch you. And my daughter in labor for three days. She was uh, in this wow. was like Wednesday or Thursday already. She was in labor for three days and the midwife was keeping in touch and she was in mild labor. And the midwife was just saying, you know, you just got to go with it. It's not here yet. And yeah. the minute I got there, she went into hard labor and I caught the baby. So, you know, I think babies. Been there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Myla and I are really close. Yeah, that's interesting. Where does she live? In Virginia Beach? No, they live in uh, the other side of Virginia, about five and a half hours away. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but usually I meet my daughter halfway to pick her up or um, my daughter and uh, her husband are uh, divorced now and he lives close to me. So a lot of times Mm -hmm. he goes and picks Myla up and then I get to visit. So we get to visit and we do Zoom. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Meryl, you've you've been a speaker at uh, Edgar Casey's Association for Research and Enlightenment for years. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your work there and what you've done? And yeah. also, what is it like? What is it like there? It must be really cool. <laughs> it is pretty cool. Um, 
I say that a little tentatively because when I first moved there, you know, when you live far away, it seems like this big, huge thing. And it, it, you know, well, I was born in New York City. So when yeah. I, I got there, I expected, you know, I don't know, taller buildings. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, I got involved. I got there in 1983, right after my husband died. And I got involved with everything right away. And it was a really mm. big part of my spiritual development. Mm. And I'm grateful for everything. And I did immediately, but by 85 or 86, I think I was speaking. Back then, it was very interesting. Uh, my topic was always creativity. However, uh-huh. nobody would sign up for a workshop on creativity because back then, everybody thought they weren't creative. Hmm. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. And so we had to fool them into coming by choosing different words. <laughs> and so we would put a different title and, you know, kind of be cagey about what the description was. And I had so many people during those years come up to me and say, I loved your workshop. It was the best workshop I've ever been to here. Or some people said the best workshop in my life. And I didn't realize I was creative and I'm so glad I found out. But they all said... <laughs> If I had known what this was really about, I would not have come. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. So that's how we got. Now, that's changed. And that was interesting because that was at a time when the color orange was um, not a good color in retail sales. Uh, mm. Orange is the color of creativity because it's the first chakra, which is positive action, which is red. And uh, then. The third chakra, which is about consciousness. The, it's about um, about yeah. balance. Yeah. And you combine basically, you know, the first chakra is basically um, procreative sexual sex, right? It's right. all about procreativity. And and the yellow chakra is more about, you know, bringing in mental and decisions. So uh-huh. when you have raw procreativity and bring it in with consciousness. That's where you get good sex. But it's also... Yeah. Where get creativity so orange because it's the mixture of of red and yellow is creativity and um i was i was just about to ask what what does it mean if you're attracted to yellow and red so i guess that's orange (laughs) now you know john there you go so um so anyway the interesting thing was during that period of time orange was like anathema like any any product that was orange Retailers wouldn't buy it because it wouldn't sell. Huh. And so during that period of time, which was like the 70s, 80s, and well, not so, yeah, the 60s, the 60s, they were into all colors, but late, late 70s, 80s, and 90s, people were convinced they were not creative. They were dealing with a lot of um, oftentimes um, sexual abuse issues. Uh-huh. So it was all about that orange chakra stuff. And it's very interesting to know that now, you can go buy orange. It's hard to remember that you couldn't, but yeah. that's a reflection of how the vibration has changed. And people today, you know, and we've had um, all kinds of people um, like um, Julia Cameron come out with the artist way. And, you know, people are, are right. interested in reconnecting with their creativity because it's our life. Uh-huh. Run. If you're not creative, you're like, you're like suffocating to death. Yeah, mm. that's true. Yeah. That's so you, you built a labyrinth there at the uh, yes. Center? Yes. Okay. And I think we have time. I have a labyrinth. Store. I, oh, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I learned about labyrinths um, in 1992. 
um, I was speaking at a kaleidoscope conference in Baltimore, and I'm also a kaleidoscope designer. And they're mm. like mandala images, right? So it's all the same round stuff all over. Um, and so <laughs> the gal who had the conference had um, had engaged um, these two hotel rooms with two bedrooms in them for speakers to stay in. So I was in one and I had my daughter with me. And then this some person unknown to me was in the other one. And, and the gal who ran the conference said, oh, you'll probably see her. But we didn't. I was there three days and I never bumped into the person who was sharing because <laughs> we had completely different schedules. So um, anyway, I was busy doing my stuff and giving presentations and I kept walking by this room and looking in the in the window and there was this beautiful labyrinth laid out there with rainbow colors and the room was supposed to be open for you to go in there and check it out at different times but it was always locked when I went by and then the end of the conference came and I went by the room and the labyrinth was gone and my heart was broken I was like <laughs> I feel so drawn to that. I want to find out more about that. What is that? So I went back to the hotel room to pack up my stuff. And finally, I got to meet the gal who was sharing the other room. And she was the person with the labyrinth. Hmm. Oh, interesting. <laughs> of course, right? Now, what, what do you mean? What kind of labyrinth? What was it built out of? Hers in, was in her canvas. Room. Hers was canvas. So it was painted uh -huh. on okay. canvas and laid out. Yeah. So I told her, I'm like, oh, my God. I, and she said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have time, you know, to lay it out for you. I would lay it out for you right now so you could try it. But I'm on my way to West Virginia to speak at another conference. And I said, huh, I'm also on my way to West Virginia to speak at another conference. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And we were speaking. Another synchronicity. I know. We were speaking at the same conference. And so we got there early and met and before everybody else got there and before we had to do anything she grabbed the labyrinth and we laid it out in a in a cabin and i got to walk it and it was so transformational wow. so the mm. difference between a maze and a, a, a maze is a game that has mm. paths yeah. where you have to choose and you can get a dead end um and that engages your left brain which is trying to figure out a game uh -huh. but the labyrinth is just one path that's circuitous, but if you just put one foot in front of the other, you get to the end, and so therefore it's meditative. And mm -hmm. so huh. I was hooked. I built my own labyrinth. Um, I, I made an, a canvas one right after that, and then I was the first person to bring it to the ARE, so it was canvas. I made it the exact size to fit in the ARE auditorium room, mm. and so that was 1992. I was the first person to bring that there, and then in... I don't know. Ninety. Now, did the canvas have paintings on it? You paint the lines on it. Yeah. Okay. Nietzsche painted hers with all kinds of colors. Hers was a little uh -huh. smaller than mine. Mine was thirty-two feet across because that's how big the ARE conference room is. Yeah. And um, so I, um, yeah, I had just painted the lines on it so people could could follow it and walk it. And right. when canvas, you can lay it out on uh, carpet and it won't slip around. And uh -huh. so. Then a few years later, uh, they asked me to paint one on their patio because they were going to chop up the patio in a year, they said. And they thought, you know, ah, we'll let this crazy artist do her thing. So I painted one. It was 48 feet across. Oh, wow. And I got help. And it was so popular. I think it was seven or eight years before they finally chopped up the lot that people got to walk it. And. Yeah, one time um, 
on the Labyrinth's second birthday, we would go back every year to repaint, you know, because it would start to get chipped. Uh-huh. So on the Labyrinth's second birthday, it was hot. I was there and I had volunteers and we were repainting the things. And I um, went into the building to wash up. I was so exhausted. I wanted to go home and take a Epsom salt baths. And my friend Elizabeth <laughs> comes walking out and she said, I'm so sorry I didn't get to come volunteer with you and help paint the labyrinth, but I want to see what it looks like. You want to come up with me? It was up on top of this big hill. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to climb that hill again. <laughs> but I did go up with her. And we noticed that when we got there, um, a man was pushing a woman in a wheelchair through it. And and I make, oh, whenever wow. possible, I make all my la- labyrinths wheelchair accessible. And so it seemed very sacred. So there's this this second story um, porch at the ARE health building that you can access by stairs outside. So Elizabeth said, let's go up there and, and watch. So we did. And we, we felt very prayerful. And we were kind of sending good prayer energy to this couple. And it's pretty big labyrinth. And this porch is pretty far away. So when they got to the middle, we saw that they were talking with each other. But we were too far away to hear anything. And the woman gets up out of the wheelchair and holds oh, the bar wow. and walks the entire way out. Wow. Now, this labyrinth 48 feet across, but the but the the path is the size of three football fields. Wow. And so, um she this was very slow. It probably took her at least a half an hour and she was doing one foot at a time and he, he was obviously caring for her. And while I was up there, meditating, I got told that she had MS. So, and I know that MS patients have good luck in the labyrinth. So, or good results. So suddenly Elizabeth and I had this feeling that she needed to come out of the labyrinth in kind of some sort of fanfare. So we came down the steps from the porch. She still didn't see us because she's looking down and Mm. we stood at the um, entrance, which is also the exit of the labyrinth. And we put our hands up kind of like you're doing London bridge to make a portal. She didn't see us till she was three feet away. And she looked up. Wow. Look on her (laughs) face. And she walked through this, the portal that we had created. Mm. And next thing we know, everybody's crying and hugging. We don't know each other's name or anything. We're all crying (laughs) and hugging and it's (laughs) wonderful. And then she says to me, Oh, she said, I hope you can tell me who built this labyrinth because I've been walking it every day this week and I've been wanting to know. And I said, it's me. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is great. A oh, good that's story. Great, and great she did story. have great MS. Story. And she told me her goal in walking it, you know, her husband had pushed her through every day. And this was her last day before she went home. And she said her goal had been to see if she could get strong enough by getting pushed through to walk out. And she, he was, they were both amazed at what she was mm. able to do. Huh. And she said, well, now I want to build a labyrinth at home. And I said, well, it just so happens that I did a labyrinth workshop not long ago at the ARE, and their bookstore still has all the books on how to build them. So if you go down there, you oh, can. Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great story. Yeah. Uh, John, I was wondering if you could put up uh, any of uh, Merrill's art. Uh, is that possible? John. Sure. I mean, uh, do so just go to the website or do we want to talk through that or do we want to talk to well, the specific files she sent or? Well, yeah, we could just uh, take a look at. Uh, yeah, just take them. a look at what we've got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you want to pop them up, I can say what they are or something. Whatever. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. All right, here we go. It's 
fun to create art based on synchronicity. Okay, so this is the mandala that I was talking about that was based on Abraham's story of the um, butterflies, the blue glass. And right. The- oh, right. And so the okay. butterflies, you can see the feathers, um, the feathers are little feathers in the center. The blue glass are those little blue glass that looks like beads right. around yeah. the outside. Yeah, beautiful. And the butterflies are coming out in a Fibonacci spiral, which is a okay. powerful sacred geometry. Right. Yeah. Right. And these, I have prints of this. I have the original, but we just built a page on my site for um, prints. I have G clay prints made. They're pretty expensive, but beautiful. I mean, when I put them next to the original, you can't tell the difference hardly. I have trouble. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. You guys so, got a print. I I gave you a print. Yeah. 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 Uh, you it's did, good, and it's I brought it home. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a good. You know, G clay is a good quality. Um, so, uh, so if anyone's listening to this just on audio and you'd like to see some of Meryl's art, here's another one. This is interesting. Uh, you can go to her website. Uh, what? Uh, where? Where should they go to look for your art, Meryl? They should go to Ocean View Arts, arts with an S dot com. That's okay, my great. website. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And this is this is the one that I did oh. of. Um, <coughs> While I was while you were sitting next to Megan, next to you guys, yeah, yeah. Right. Abraham, yeah. and there's a fun story with this one too. I posted it on one of the Abraham sites. I joined the site. I was a new member. Oh, I love this story. This yeah. is number synchros. Okay, I know. So I posted it on the site, and um, they the admin has to you know uh, filter the stuff. So. Uh, when I posted it, it wasn't up automatically. The admin had to look at it. So I, I posted around midnight and the next morning I woke up and I thought, I'll see if they posted it. And I posted it and there were like 250 likes and, and 50 comments. And I started answering the comments. And so then the next day I had a zoom call with my uh, web guy. And at that point we were still building the, uh, Crescent Creativity Club portion of the website. And I decided I wanted to offer that monthly fee. They get a lot of really cool things with that. They get two live things a month with me and then a bunch uh-huh. of other cool benefits and a Facebook private page about creativity. And I, I wanted to offer it for a really good deal. And um, I had told them I wanted to offer it for the price of, you know, a fancy Frappuccino. So we decided (laughs) that the price would be $7.77. And that's like (laughs) introductory rate. So after I got off the Zoom call with him that day, I decided to go to that Abraham page and see how many more likes I got on my, this picture. And it was 777 likes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Right next to it, to the right-hand side, and also under it were two posts about the number 777 and what it means. And yeah. so I got all that oh, captured on a screenshot to prove that it was all there at one time. And, <laughs> and then I took the screenshot showing all the 777 stuff and yeah. posted it on the same site again. And they're like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. And how did you make this? Was this with markers or what, what were oh, you using? Good question. This is Prismacolor pencils okay. on black paper. So <clears throat> what it does is it gives the feeling of light emerging from darkness, uh-huh. which is really, you know, I, what we want to be. I mean, I, I read a quote the other day that said, you know, if you notice there's darkness all around you, check, you might be the light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's what we're called to do. So that's, 
Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, you were when you were sitting next to Megan, you were using colored pencils. Yes, I was. That's exactly what I was drawing with with that special paper. Wow. Yeah, because I remember watching that and thinking, "Oh my God, who is this woman? (laughs) This is incredible." (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I bring my colored have colored pencils. Will travel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really. (laughs) Well, listen, listen, Meryl. Nigel has just uh, woken up here. Oh, oh, it must uh, be time. Yeah. Right. (laughs) He knows when it's two o'clock. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay. Well. It was great uh, having oh, you. Oh, it's wonderful talking yeah, it was to you. Fun talking to you. Thank you, and I invite uh, John, you when, when, else to the website. John, when will this go up? This episode. Uh, this uh, audio will be uh, next week, and then um, and then this will probably be our second YouTube uh, post. So. Oh, yep. okay, great. Okay. Yep. So, okay, but great. but more Yay. more to come on that day. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Okay, okay, great. So, thank you, Miros. This has been great. Thanks for joining The Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Mystical.